with his disciples to the lake. Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the lake. Why did Jesus withdraw? If you remember last week, there was a guy with a withered hand who, who was in the uh, synagogue on the Sabbath day. And we had the good old Pharisees with their warped interpretation of the law. And they came in and said, hey, we just know this Jesus guy is going to touch this man on the Sabbath. We just know it. And according to the Talmud, according to our interpretation of the Ten Commandments, it is illegal to heal on the Sabbath. Yes, you can save a life. You know, a, a brick building falls on a person. You can move all the bricks and go, okay, I'll see you tomorrow. You know, but you cannot, whatever you do, you cannot heal a person on the Sabbath. And so Jesus stands and says, hey, what is lawful on the Sabbath? What's lawful? He says, is it lawful to take life or, you know, or to give life? Is it lawful, is it lawful to heal or not, you know? And he goes, stand up. He tells this man, he says, stretch out your hand. And he stretches out his hand. Remember that impossible command that he gave. And Jesus sometimes is going to give us impossible commands. And it's up to us to either argue with God and say, hey, this is the way I've always been. Or that's impossible, God. Or we just obey the Lord. And when we choose to obey the Lord, no matter what His commands are, what happens? Things change. Perhaps some of you are in a very, very, very difficult in your relationship with your spouse today. I don't know. I'm just thinking this is what's on my heart right now. And you're looking at the person going, there is no way. We've got the shriveled hand syndrome going on. And the Lord says, reach out. I don't want to. I don't feel it. They've done this to me, this and that, and all these other situations that are going on. Stretch out your hand. As we choose to obey Christ, He will give us the means necessary to accomplish what He wants to have happen. doesn't always give it in the, in the front hand. That's, that's not how faith works. Faith is taking God at His word. When He tells us to do something, we choose, okay, I'm going to do it against my will, not my will. My will is I'm out of here. Your will is restoration. And so, we stretch out our hand. We give our will to Him. And He does the miracle in our lives. We need that. We need the touch of Jesus. But how many of us are walking around in our relationships with one another in circumstances like this? No. I've got a nice, good hand, Lord. Check out this one. Yeah, can you get that out of the way? I'm concerned with your brokenness. I'm concerned with the part of you that's not working. I care for you deeply and the part of you that's just messed up. I want to come and I want to fix you. And the deepest part of you, I love you. You know? And me personally, I feel like a caged animal sometimes. I just feel like a a wild cat in a, in a small cage and the Lord comes up to touch me and quack, you know? Don't you know who I am? Don't you know what a mess this is? Do you want to get in here and mess with me? The Lord opens the cage and gets in. Let's go, kitty. <laughs> and he begins to tame my heart and he begins to make me 
know what true freedom is, is to obey him, to follow him, to where he can take me outside of that cage, and I will have freedom. But if I choose to live this life, then that's the life I have, and it's not what God has for us. And so, like this man, just stretch it out. But notice the Pharisees, they wanted to keep this man from experiencing all that God had for him because of their interpretation of the law. Did you know the laws of God are never meant to hinder us from doing good? That's not the heart of God. These men were in a legal relationship with God. They were not in a love relationship with God. If you're in a legal relationship with someone, you, uh, you get the documents out, and you find out, okay, 4-3, section B, 4-2. Can I heal today? No, I can't. Oh, can I give you a hug today? Let's see. You know? It's like joy. These men were Pharisees. Yes, they were devoted and they were separated to God. But if, as we're going to check out today, their legalism was killing them. They never knew the heart of the law. And Jesus came and, and guess what he was talking about in Matthew chapters 5 through 7. Very interesting. I don't know if you guys have been recommended to read that before. I recommend that you do that. Matthew chapter 5 through 7. Jesus says, you've heard it said that this was the way it was. You've heard it said do not commit murder. But I tell you, it's not the physical act. It's what's going on in your heart. And there's this whole kingdom of the heart that Jesus tries to tell us. And the heart of the Sabbath is that the Sabbath was made for man. Not man for the Sabbath. It's a day that God gave us to rest and to be holy towards Him. How many of us are taking advantage of that? Boy, there's some things we can learn. But at the same time, Oh, I can't come over and help you because, you know, it's my Sabbath. I can't come do this. I, I have to withhold my love on this day because of this, because of my legal obligation. That's not the heart of God. That's not the heart of God at all. Jesus says, if your donkey falls in a ditch, go get it on the Sabbath. If your neighbor is hurting on the Sabbath, go, go love them. It's funny. In our attempt to worship God, we tend to deny man, you know, their needs. That's not right. No, I can't meet with you today. I've got to go to church, or I've got to do this, or I've got to do that. What if the Lord said, hey, you know what? Take off church today and go minister to that person. Obviously, our hearts scheme... <laughs> we scheme. Oh, we could do that every week. I need to go minister to the people who are fishing, you know, and all this type of stuff. No, that's not what we're talking about. <clears throat> but as we hang out with the Lord, as we begin to read His Word, as we begin to see Jesus live these things out, we begin to see the heart of God. And as we begin to spend time with Christ, we begin to, that begins to rub off on us. And we're not so rigid in our understanding of Him, we, we're more led by the Spirit. And the Spirit says, you know what, son? I want you to do this today. Okay. And we're to be people who are led by the Spirit. That's a very interesting thing. And I know it's been very abused in our culture. But are we, my sheep know my voice. And what is Jesus calling you to do today? How is He calling you to minister? How is He calling you to love? How are we growing in this? Or is there a set of rules and obligations that you have that are keeping you from doing what God would have you to do? That's a very interesting thing. But Jesus asked them all these questions, and basically they were silent. So he asked this guy, go ahead and heal him. 
And so Jesus withdrew to the lake. And it's a good idea when people are trying to kill you, because as a result of all that, it says that they, they conspired with the Herodians, to, of all people, to kill Jesus. The Herodians were the sect of um, Jews that were, uh, they were basically in alignment with Herod, who was the king of the Jews, who was basically a puppet politician for the Roman government. And so you had the Pharisees, these guys who were strictly Jews, strictly legalists, all law, hated the Herodians because they were sold out to this pagan Roman government. And they decided to conspire with these people to kill Jesus. The enemy of my enemy is my friend. You know? And it's funny, when you look at the Pharisees, what's happening in their heart, they're trying to find a legal way to get rid of Jesus. They're trying to find a legal way to get rid of Jesus. That legal relationship. How can we get rid of him? If they wanted to kill him, they should have just killed him. But they had to conspire. They had to find a way that they could trap him in the law to kill him. And that's what they're constantly doing in this legal frame. is constantly posing all these questions to Jesus so that he would be in contrary to their interpretation of the law so that the people would be on their side so that they could kill him. Eventually, it happened. That was their goal. And we see how Satan used them throughout this whole situation. We've got to move on. But Jesus withdrew to his disciples to the lake. And again, if people are trying to kill you, it's a good idea to get out of there. Just take that one and chew on it. It wasn't his time yet. And a, and a large crowd from Galilee followed. And when they heard about all he was doing, many people came to him from Judea, Jerusalem, Idumea, and the regions across the Jordan around the Tyre and Sidon. If we could flip up the map real quickly. Um, it's not there. Okay. Um, just to let you know, Idumea is down here. And if we look all the way at that little ocean right there, that's the Sea of Galilee. And right in the middle is Samaria. If you remember where, remember where Samaria is? So you've got, what happened is a long time ago, the Israels had, had, a civil, had a civil war. It was divided into two sections. The southern part was called Judea. And the northern section was called Israel, although the whole thing is called Israel. So it's the north and the south. And so this was Israel. This was Judea in the times of, of Bible. Judea is right here. Jerusalem is right there. And if this is five miles from here to here, how big is that country? And it's stretched a little bit because I messed with it. But Galilee is up there. And the area of Phoenicia and Tyre and Sidon is up there. And, Israel, uh, and uh, the area of Jordan is that way. So we had Jesus traveling in all these areas of, of Israel and beyond Israel. Um, and it's just interesting. So Jesus went up to the area of the Sea of Galilee, and that's where his main area was. I wish I had my laser pointer, but I don't. But if you notice on the Sea of Galilee, there's a black dot all the way at the top. That's called Capernaum. And that was his hub for his Galilean ministry when he spent most of his time in Galilee. And so we can uh, change the slide there. So he retreated to the lake, and many people followed Jesus. Verse 9, because of the crowd, he told his disciples to have a small boat ready for him to keep the people from crowding him. For he had healed many, so that those with diseases were pushing forward to touch him. As you can imagine, if, let's say, 10 people, there was a guy in here who healed 10 people, what do you think is going to happen? There's going to be crowds of people who are hurting starting to go to this paper and say, hey, what about me? What about me? And it became, to, it became such a, a pitch that wherever Jesus was walking, he'd be crushed. And if you remember the story of the woman with the issue of blood, it says that 
you know, when she touched the hem of his garment, Jesus stops and says, who touched me? And his disciples are, you got to be kidding me. What do you mean, who's, everybody's touching you? There's a guy standing on your head, Jesus. You know, and so there was these crowds constantly pressing him. And it's hard when your ministry is to preach the word of God when people are like this. They're pushing. And so he tells his disciples, because of the crowds, he told his disciples, hey, get a small boat. And I like Jesus' ingenuity here. Let's get in the boat. We'll stand out a little bit from the shore. And we'll start traveling to the various cities across the lake. That way, we're not going to be crowded as I walk along. And so he'd have a boat. Notice, know about one of the guys' boats. And they'd be there, and he'd, he'd preach from the shores. And it was amazing, because as you're on the Sea of Galilee, you're, you're sitting here, and, and the hills go up. They gradually go up to you know high rocky cliffs in some parts. They gradually go up, and you have this, this, this natural microphone-type situation. Where you're sitting there and you're talking and your voice is echoing off the water and it rolls up the hills to, and t- speaks to all these people. And I could just imagine that. It's pretty amazing. But uh, next the slide here. That's the Sea of Galilee, by the way. Um, that's a, it, a few years ago, actually several years ago, there was a drought in, in, in Jerusalem, in, sorry, in Israel. And the water level got so low, historical levels low, there was a guy walking along and there was a piece of a, a boat sticking up. And so they, they actually came and they excavated this boat, this ancient boat, and they, they dated it back to the time of Christ. If you can flip it one more, that's kind of what it looks like. And so those were the kind of boats that we were talking about. Jesus would get in this boat and be on the side of the, you know, the Sea of Galilee right there and just start preaching to people. And as, as I told you before, it's not very far from one side or the other, is it? Go ahead and flip to the next slide. There's more of a, of a panoramic type of view of it. The Sea of Galilee. They call it the lake. So I, I like their version better. And so um, Jesus got on a boat to preach without you know, a microphone. And verse 11, it says, uh, There was an ever-increasing ministry of healing the sick and all these things that were happening. Verse 11, it says, When the impure spirits saw him, they fell down before him and they cried out, you're the son of God. But he gave them strict orders not to, not to tell others about him. We, had, we see demonic activity. It wasn't their testimony that was wrong. Their testimony was correct, you know, but it was intended to undermine Jesus' ministry. Hey, he's the son of God. Why don't you worship him now? Why don't you make him king now? It wasn't his time yet. Jesus told him, knock it off, be quiet. And that's exactly what happened. And so none of that. Verse 13. When Jesus went up the mountainside, and he called to them those he wanted. You can see the slopes. And so you can imagine all these people following Jesus on these mountainsides around him. And he, call, he sits there and he calls to, the, uh, calls to himself those that he wants. And he appointed twelve that they might be with him. And that he might send them out to preach. And to have authority to drive out demons. These are the twelve whom he appointed. Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, and to his brother John. To them he gave the name Bonerges, which means son of thunder. Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. These are the twelve that Jesus chose to come up with him. And if you look in the other Gospels recordings, they're kind of put together in twos, and you can see the groupings that Jesus sent them out in, the two by two. So Jesus went up on a mountainside, and he called 
to him those he wanted, and they came to him. At this point in Jesus' ministry, he had many, many, many followers. There were many followers that were coming. He had many people following him. I mean, just crowds. Some were to be healed. Some were to be freed from demonic oppression. Some were to be released from various circumstances. Some were just there looking at go, wow, this guy's amazing. I've never seen that. They just want to see the, you know, the glitz of it all. Within the masses of all these people, there were disciples or learners. They're the ones who listened and accepted Jesus' teachings and they applied it to their lives. Disciples were listening and they were applying it to their lives. These were the disciples. There were the masses, but then there were the disciples. The actual people were listening and doing what he said, applying it to their lives. And they accepted and applied his teachings. The differences between the disciples and being on the Jesus bandwagon is doing what he says. Amen? It's the difference between Sunday Christians and Monday Christians. That's my thought. We often think that he had just 12 disciples. Jesus had 12 disciples, everybody, right? Well, that's not so. In John 6, verse 66, it indicates there were many disciples who followed Jesus. And sadly, in that verse, it said that many left him because of the teachings he had were very hard. In Luke 10, 1, it tells us that Jesus later on sent out 70 more disciples. So Jesus was a disciple-making machine. There were a lot of people who were giving their lives and following Jesus. But out of these many disciples following Jesus, he just called 12 to himself. Men that he would pour his life into and eventually, you know, give them charge of the church, of the work that he would have, the, the, the thing that he would birth, what he was aiming for. So he spent time with them. And I want you to pre- please take notice of this, verse 13, that Jesus called those that he wanted. I know that rubs us wrong. But it says, Jesus called those whom he wanted. In John 15, verse 16, Jesus speaking to his, the apostles, his disciples, said, You did not choose me, but I chose you. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And this is very important for us to realize, because God is always the initiator. God is always the initiator. Matt never has the bright idea to follow God. That's not my idea. That's not in my nature. That is not who I am. The the, the scriptures teach all like sheep have gone astray. We all by nature are children of wrath. We've all wandered away from God, every man to his own devices. We've all rebelled in our hearts towards God. But God came down and said, I choose you. I love you. And this is the interesting thing about God. And it says that for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. He calls all to repentance. And he desires that all should not perish. That's his heart. He's not exclusive on the matter of salvation. He wants all of us to come to him. So there's a difference there. He desires that we all come to him, that we're all experiencing the goodness and the life and the relationship that he has to offer. That's what he wants. God is the initiator. He calls those that he wants. But as for our specific calling, our specific mission or place in his kingdom, it's as he chooses. 
It's as he chooses. He called to him those he wanted. God calls, friends. Write this down and put it on a sticky pad on your forehead, right? God calls, we respond. God calls, we respond. God calls, our response is to respond. That's our obligations, to respond. And they came to him. That's a beautiful verse. And Jesus called the 12 that he wanted. And they decided, nah. Oh, man. Might as well throw out the New Testament. And he called, and they responded. Man's response to the voice of God in their lives. God has called us to repentance and faith in his son. Have you responded to that call, the general call? Have you repented? God calls you to repent. God calls you to put your faith in Jesus. Have we done that? But what has he specifically called you to? What are you here for? What's the mission? Why are you breathing in and out? What's your heartbeat? Why, why are you on this earth? He has a purpose for you. He has a purpose for your life. He's handcrafted it, and I don't... It does not make a difference how old you are, how far along you are in the game, how young you are. He's got a purpose for you right now on this earth. If you're still breathing in and out, there's a mission. There's a mission for you to be involved with. And how easy it is for us to get all self-pity and talk about our situations, or I'm not, I don't have this and I don't have this. God's not interested in that. He's really interested in about you being empty of yourself so he can fill you with him and do amazing things. When he sees a person and goes, ah, you know, I don't have this and that, and he goes, all right, I can use you. Because <laughs> you're not going to take the glory. I'm going to get the glory, and that's what it's about. He's the only one that can do that. And we get to be a part of this magnificent thing we're on, this amazing calling. And he'll send you places and do things through you that you never would expect. No, nah, I'm satisfied with what I got going on in my toys. Okay. But Jesus... He was calling the disciples. What was he calling them to? Verse 14. Just read real quickly. We're going to bust through this. He appointed the twelve that they might be with him, and that he might send them out to preach and have authority over demons. The very first thing that he calls his disciples for was so that they could be with him. Jesus wants to spend time with them. He wants to hang. He wants to spend time. You know, relationship. If you're like me, it's like, okay, God, I'm here. What do we do? Ready, ready to do something, God? I just want to be with you. I created you to be a human being, not a human doing. Be a human being first. Just be with me. Spend time with me. Get to know me. You know, the elders in their wisdom, when I came up here, they said, what we want you to do, we want you to just sit and we want you to develop relationships and preach. That's what he said. And Matt... You know, I've got to, I've got to do all these things because you know that's why I'm here. Slow down, slow down, and just get to know people. That's hard, isn't it? When you're Type A, any Type A's in here? Just me. Okay, no, okay, two of us. All right, the rest of you, get in line. No, it's hard. I want to spend time with you, Matt. But there's so much to do, God. <laughs> Praise God. The art of being is lost in our culture, I wrote. God desires you to be a human being with, with him, not just human doing. I like that. 
You know, are we spending time just being in His presence? How many of you have just stopped and just thought upon God? Not studying your Bible, not going to a prayer meeting, not doing this, but just stopping and thinking upon God. Some people call it meditation, but that kind of has a weird thing. Meditate upon the Lord. Not with anything associated, just being with Him and let the ministry flow. Stop. You don't have to go whirlwind America, okay? Relax. Have a relationship with the Lord. Breathe in, breathe out. Enjoy Him. Let there be a little bit of space in your life. That's what He made you for. You know, are we spending time just being in His presence? How many of us even know what that looks like? Yeah, here it is. He called it first so that it could be with Him. And if you want to read about abiding, read John 15, 16, 17, about abiding. Abiding is very important. So he also wanted them to, spend, uh, to send the disciples. That's the second thing he wanted. He wanted to send them. Go do this. He has a mission. Yes, type A's are all, yes, yes. Don't just have to sit around and have a tea party. We could do something. Now listen, the way the kingdom works is a lot different than the way the earth works. We get our power and our source of energy and everything by abiding in Christ, by spending time with Him, by being with Him. And as that relationship is developed, and as we love Him, and as we're loving one another, then that life flows through us into other people. The mission happens naturally. The mission happens naturally. We can't put the cart before the horse. We have to. We have to abide in Christ. As we abide, then the doing becomes. He wants us to be with him, and he wants us to go do something. And the thing he sent them for is, is to go preach. He called them apostles now. Apostles means sent ones. It means simple ones. It's not a title. It means you're going. God sent you. I've got you a mission. I'm sending you behind enemy, enemy lines. Let's go. There's a mission for each of you this morning. A mission. Apostles need sent ones. The disciples were called to go and to preach. They had a message from God to share with a certain segment of society. What was the message they were to preach, church? What was the message they were to preach? Matthew's account of this tells us that the disciples were to sent to proclaim the message that the kingdom of God is at hand. Well, what does that mean? In short, it means that the way God would have things done, His rule, His heart, his influence upon government in our lives is at hand. He's here, and it's personified in the person of Jesus Christ. You want to know what the kingdom of God is about? You look at the person of Jesus Christ, and you see how he rules, how he reigns, how he does things. What he says and what he teaches, that is exactly what the kingdom of God is like, and that is what we are headed towards. That is reality, friends. All this is going away. Democrat, Republican, Independence, Green Party, you know, uh, independent, this denomination, that denomination, it's all going away. And we have the rule of Jesus Christ. That's what we're headed for, the kingdom of God. And it's at hand, and we're supposed to be reflections of that kingdom. We're Christians, little Christ. And we're reflecting the way his life is. Are we reflecting that kingdom? Well, you are what you eat. Who are we spending time with? What are we watching? Are we abiding in the world, or are we abiding in Christ? Amen? Starts there. Abiding in Christ. Going to preach the gospel. Very important. First Jesus calls. They follow. 
They abide. Jesus sends them on a mission. And now, this is very important, everybody. Jesus gave them the power to do what he called them to do. Jesus gave them the power to do what he called them to do. In verse 15, and to have authority to drive out demons. I'm calling you to do it, and I want you to go do it in my authority and my power. I'm giving you the power. Matthew's account in chapter 10 gives us a little bit better picture. Remember Mark's just like bullet points? Let's get, get it done. Matthew chapter uh, 10, verse 5, it says, uh, These twelve Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles enter or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. So their mission was specific. And as you go, proclaim this message. The message is specific. The kingdom of God, the uh, kingdom of heaven has, has, has come near. And he tells them what to do. He says, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely have you received, freely you shall give. I'm giving you all these things, not so that you can hold on to them, so you can invest them in the people that need them. God has given you talents and gifts and opportunities and assets and all these things, not so that we can hold on to them, so we can use them in the kingdom of God for his glory. Amen? You know, here's a full tank of, you know, tank of gas. Here's the keys to the car, kids. Go have fun. You know, I want you to go here and do it. When God sends us on a mission, he's faithful to give us what we need. And this is very important. Two important things we have to keep in mind. What mission are you on? What is your mission in life? Are you on the right mission? You could be gung-ho and be in the wrong direction. What is God calling you to do? It happens in church all the time. You know what? Our mission is to grow the church. Our mission is to grow the church. We want to have this many people by this many times. So what we're going to do is we're going to do a, in order to get to that goal, we're going to go ahead and do a building fund. And we're going to build this giant building. Everybody's going to come to the building. And then we need to actually have a marketing strategy for five years so that we can get certain people in the door. Blah, sickness. I can't handle it. And churches think like this. Is there a time to, to, to build a building? Yes. But I'm saying that there are, there, are, there are thoughts out there that are on the wrong mission. They aren't reading the book. They aren't just looking at what Jesus has. Go. Spend time with Jesus, everybody. Go. Love the lost that are right around you. Bring Jesus to them. And by the way, once you've brought Jesus to them on stuff, sure, we can all gather together and gather in here and praise the Lord together. But you're the church. This is the building. It means something to us because we gather here. That's what makes it special because we experience God here together. But where two or more gather in my name, there I am also. Go have church in your home. Go to Byron's Bible study Thursday nights. Go to Cala's on Wednesday nights. Start a Bible study of your own. Go and just have a prayer meeting. Go minister to the lost. You're it. You're the church. You're the plan. What's stopping you? You see a need next to you? Go. Attack. Lord, he says right here to go do this, to love my neighbor. I've got my marching orders. I'm going. What's stopping you? You know? Your calling is just going to overflow as you love the Lord. And I think lastly here, I think I want to point out that uh, Jesus, when Jesus calls, he actually, he provides you the power. 
of what he wants you to do. And it's very important that we don't go out doing, starting our own ministries and our own works apart from God's calling and his power. Otherwise, we just get a lot of problems. Just want to, I don't have time to get on all that, but just a warning. Keep it simple. Stick, in the, stick it to the scriptures. Just do what he says, and you're going to be all right. When you get off on all these other plans and marketing strategies and all the stuff that men think up, it's all upside down. Don't do it. Stay with the Lord. And so he called these disciples to himself. And, I, and I'm excited about these disciples. These guys amaze me. These 12 men that he called. And I, and I think this is really fascinating. And we'll be done here in, in just five minutes, okay? This is amazing. So heads up. I think all of us really want to experience being and doing all that God has for us. Don't you want to be the person that God's called you to be and to actually be doing it? It's exciting. You know, life's a drag when you're not. Why am I here? You're constantly just, why, why, why? But when you're in the middle, it's like, yes, I'm all in. All in. How many of you are all in? Or are you in on Sundays and maybe Wednesday nights? Jesus isn't looking for Sunday Christians. There's enough of those. He's looking through Monday through Saturday Christians. All in or get out. Those are hard words and they aren't mine. They're Jesus's. Revelation, he says, you know what? Lukewarm, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. I want you hard or cold, in or out. Are you all in for the Lord, or are we just like blase Christians? Because that's the problem, problem of my life. Am I all in, Lord, or am I in this for me? These disciples, they gave up everything. They were all in. It doesn't mean you're all pastors in a church or you know, called to be, all be elders. The, the calling is different. Jesus says he calls those people to them, themselves that will, you know, to whatever mission he's called you to. One is an elevated above the other, in my mind. You're all ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You've all been given a certain amount of influence and authority, and what are you doing with it? Are you all in? Because there's going to be a day when we stand before the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and all of our motives are going to be revealed before him, and who we really are is going to be exposed. And yes, the grace of God is just going to wipe away our tears. But I want to stand before him and go, and to really just say, well done. Well done, son. You know, you had all these obstacles in your life, but you kept pushing through and you kept trusting me. You kept going. You had these disabilities, but you, with what I gave you, you invested. You didn't bury it in the ground. You invested in the kingdom. And I look at these disciples, and they were all in. In Matthew 10, 39, it says, Whoever finds his life will lose it. Whoever keeps his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. It's the upside-down kingdom. Jesus says, You really want to have life? Give it to me. You want to think you have life and lose it? Hold on to it. And all this world is saying, and all it says to you day after day, is you deserve this and you deserve that. And you should gather up more for yourself and this and that. It's a lie. Jesus says, give it all away. Give it to me. And I will give you life, real life. 
And that means a lot of you are going to be hurting in here. A lot of us are going to be hurting. Because Jesus always comes to the people. Let's say you have a lot of money. Jesus says, I want you to give it all up and give it to the poor. And I want you to follow me. Boy, that kind of messes with our motives, huh? Jesus always comes to the thing that we value more than him. And he says, will you lay this down? And the funny thing is that we hold on to it. You know, it's like this thing called monkey treats. You know, they catch monkeys. They have like this one coconut and they cut out the top. They put some just big enough for their hand to get in. But when they grasp their fist, they can't get it out because they won't let go. And they have this coconut tied. So these monkeys are all running around going, ah, you know, they can't get away. Because they, they won't let go. They won't let go. And we're like a bunch of monkeys with our hands stuck in the world going, ha, <laughs> it's kind of fun in there, but I can't enjoy it really, you know? And we won't let go. When we let go, we find that God fills our hands with more than we can handle. And when we give to each other, you find that he continues to give you more so that you can give. And once you've been faithful for a little, he continues to give you more so that you can give, so that more that you can give, so more that you can give, so you are a conduit and you're not a person who's holding on to things. Whatever it is that God's given you, look at the resources and the people around you. Are you a disciple? Are you all in? Are you a follower of Jesus Christ? Says, I'm all in. I've given up all the follow you. There's nothing more precious than you, Jesus. Nothing. Not my children, not my wife, not my family. Nothing. I give up everything for you. My job, my car, you know, my guitar, whatever it is. It's you. It's all for you and your glory. Are we all in? The disciples were all in. In closing, Eusebius, the most important of the earthly uh, of the early Christians, sorry, historians. He was an early Christian historian. He wrote of the early church in AD three twenty five. He wrote, "The apostles and the disciples of the Savior scattered over the whole world preached the gospel everywhere. That's what they did. They did what he said. They were all in." Listen to what it cost the apostles and those who wrote and preached the Gospels. Listen to this. Matthew suffered martyrdom in Ethiopia. He was killed by a sword wound. Mark died in Alexandria, Egypt, after being dragged by horses to the streets until he was dead. Luke was hanged in Greece as a result of his tremendous preaching to the lost. John faced martyrdom when he was boiled in a huge basin of boiling oil during a wave of persecution in Rome. However, he was miraculously delivered from death. John was then sentenced to the mines of the prison of the island of Patmos. He wrote most of the... That's where he wrote the prophetic book of Revelation um, while he's banished to those mines in Patmos. The apostle John was later freed and returned to serve as the bishop of Edessa in modern Turkey. He died an old man, the only apostle to die peacefully, uh, if you call that peacefully. He was the only apostle allowed to live uh, old age. James the Just, the leader of the church in Jerusalem, was thrown over a hundred feet down from the southeast pinnacle of the temple when he refused to deny his faith in Christ. When they discovered that he survived the fall, his enemies beat James to death at the Fuller's Club. This was the same pinnacle where Satan had taken Jesus during the temptation. James the Greater, a son of Zebedee, was a fisherman by trade when Jesus called him to life of ministry. 
As a strong leader of the church, James was ultimately beheaded in Jerusalem. The Roman official who guarded James watched in amazement as James defended his faith at his trial. Later, the officer walked beside James to the place of execution. And overcome by conviction, he declared his new faith to the judge and knelt beside James to accept beheading as a Christian. Bartholomew, also known as Nathaniel, was a missionary to Asia. Sorry. <laughs> he was martyred for his preaching in Armenia, where he was flayed to death by a whip. Andrew was crucified on an X-shaped cross in Patras, Greece. After being whipped severely by seven soldiers, they tied his body to the cross with cords to prolong his agony. His followers reported that when he was led towards the cross, Andrew saluted it in these words, I have long desired and expected this happy hour. The cross has been consecrated by the body of Christ hanging on it. He continued to preach to his tormentors for two days until he expired. Sorry, guys, I think this is important. The Apostle Thomas was stabbed with a spear in India during one of his missionary trips to establish the church in the subcontinent. Jude, the brother of Jesus, was killed with arrows when he refused to deny his faith in Christ. Matthias, the apostle chosen to replace the traitor Judas Iscariot, was stoned and then beheaded. Barnabas, one of the group of 70 disciples, he preached throughout Italy and Cyprus. Barnabas was stoned to death at Salonica. The Apostle Paul was tortured and then beheaded by the evil Emperor Nero at Rome in AD 67. Paul endured the lengthy imprisonment, which allowed him to write many epistles to the church he formed throughout the Roman Empire. These letters, which taught many of the foundational doctrines of Christianity, form a large portion of the New Testament. And lastly, Peter was crucified upside down on an X-shaped cross. According to church tradition, because he told his tormentors that he felt unworthy to die in the same way that Jesus had died. They were all in. It cost them everything that this world has to offer. They were all in. But their lives were in Christ and his eternal kingdom, not in this present kingdom that's reserved for fire, as Peter called, Peter said. Their treasure was in heaven. Their reward was in heaven. And because of these men and because of these women, we stand here today in Walla Walla, born again. God wants to do something through you. He wants to do something through you. He died and bled for you. We have it easy here. We have it very easy. Our brothers and sisters are dying every day in other parts of the world. But their legacy is eternal. Who cares what they think? Who cares about this life? Really, there are people around you that need Jesus, and you're it. I'm excited and I'm honored to be with you and to go forward with you to preach the gospel. It's just, it's a heavy responsibility. Jesus Christ and Him crucified, not a bunch of fluff. Repent. There's judgment coming, and He loves you. We've got an amazing heritage. We've got an amazing calling. We've got an amazing time ahead of us, Lord willing.
So as we gather together, whenever we gather together, let's remember Jesus. Let's remember those who've gone before us. And let's go get them. Amen? I mean, lock and load. It's time. Let's stand up. Father, we want to praise you this morning for the goodness that you've given us. Thank you for our our brothers and sisters who went before us. Thank you for our brothers and sisters in this room who are fighting the good fight. Encourage us to let go of the monkey treats, Lord, and to open our arms to all that you have. Bless us, Lord, so that we can bless others. In the name of Jesus, amen.